Daily DVR is sponsored by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com, the men's accessories marketplace. Cufflinks.com aims to drive men to one place where they can find all the accessories they could want to elevate their look each day. Go to Cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Use code DVR20 and save 20% off your order. No minimum. Whether it's Star Wars, Marvel, DC, Disney, all that great stuff, or the sports stuff, NCAA, NBA, NFL, or, of course, the classic wearable art, the amazing high-quality Hook and Albert Oxen Bull, and, of course, their own Cufflinks.com brand. We encourage you to elevate your look when you get dressed in the morning. It helps to make you feel more confident and create your individual style. Go to Cufflinks.com DVR today. Welcome back to Daily DVR. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about this podcast and all of our great podcasts that we produce on shows like The Bachelor, Mindhunter, Game of Thrones, Westworld, Veronica Mars, so many more at DVRpodcast.com. You can also sign up and get ad-free podcasts, tons of exclusives at patreon.com slash DVR. I just want to give a shout out to all of our great patrons, especially Gina, Kellum, Grandpa James. Special shout out to Bill Cava, who joined me last week to talk a little bit about his life during COVID times. And today we'll be talking a little bit about that, but a lot about reality TV. I've got a fantastic guest. Now, everyone who's been a listener to this podcast has heard me talk about Reality Blurred again and again. It's a site that I've been going to for two decades. Um, and my guest today, Andy Dennert, who is the creator, writer, the man who does Reality Blurred for over 20 years, is my guest here today to talk about basically reality TV over the last two decades, what it's been like to write about it. And maybe we'll even talk about some recent stuff that's been going on. So it's really my pleasure to have him on the show. Andy, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks Axel for having me. I really appreciate that. And uh, excited to, to chat with you. Yes. Like I said, I have been, we were talking a little bit before we started, but I have been a big fan of your site for a really long time. Um, and the reason is because you're an independent site, you tell it like it is, you you don't hesitate when something's going on, especially in the world of reality TV, where it's so intricately linked to our everyday life, not only from the reality part, but I, it, ha it's, it just so happens that the guy who calls himself president used to be the host of a reality TV show. Uh, which you covered, and I, I enjoyed your coverage throughout uh, the election, too. You have no problem telling it like it is. Um, but, you know, right now, not only are we dealing with the president, we're dealing with this quarantine. How are you been holding up? Yeah, pretty good overall. I mean, it, I somehow can't believe it's been five or six months, or yeah. maybe I've now lost track of linear time completely, but... Um, so, uh, and, you know, I, I appreciate that I'm still able to do my work and, um, work from home and all that I'm, I'm really privileged and thankful there and staying healthy. Um, so that's good. And there's obviously plenty of TV to, to watch and talk about as, as distraction. Although 
Um, I don't know about you, but I found that like my TV habits have probably shifted a little bit. Um, like I know we've we've talked about some new Netflix shows uh, just in an earlier email conversation, and it's like two shows that I really want to watch, but I just haven't been able to start new things as easily. Mm-hmm. It's just like I kind of just want to fall back on the old and familiar during this time, rather than like just do the newest, latest craze that everyone's going to be talking about this week. That just sort of has less interest for me right now. Yeah, you know, that's a funny thing is covering TV and talking about TV so much. A lot of people have asked me, you know, hey, what have you, what's the new thing you've been watching? And I've been doing a lot of what you've been talking about, which is rewatching, um, kind of going back. And maybe that is that feeling of comfort, familiarity. Um, you know, you kind of know how it ends. And it end, it ends well usually on TV, <laughs> right? Unless you're watching like The Sopranos. Well, actually, that does kind of have a, not a bad ending. Uh, depends on what you think. But for reality TV, when the quarantine started, um, I was lucky enough to get my hands on some of the older, the UK seasons of The Circle, and I started watching some Love Island. Actually, um. I've- And I felt it was the circle I felt was almost like normal life, you know, because you're just kind of trapped inside. It's like they're in quarantine, right? Like a big brother situation. But for for some of the other reality, um, even with Love I, but like when I started going back, I was going to watch the old Real Housewives and stuff. It sometimes felt a little weird to see everyone in groups and everything on reality TV is about, you know, building to that party or that event. Um, So it's felt kind of weird to see people in those in those situations where because we really shouldn't be in those situations right now. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a good point. And for me, I think it's been, if I'm used to seeing people in that situation, like, um, the big brother house, for example, or together on survivor, or even the, the real housewives going on their trip to Mexico, like that sort of somehow feels normal because I'm used to it. But then like a newer show where I'm not, I don't know the characters. I'd never have seen this show before. Now I'm suddenly like, what are you all doing? Get away from each other. You know, like, (laughs) yeah, that is, that's kind of how I feel. Um, it's, it's interesting. Now, big brother is back and I know that that has been a show that you have covered a lot of. I've never really watched too much of it. And from what I understand from reading your website, um, there's been a lot of issues on that show. A little check-in. How? What are we, two or three episodes in so far this season? Or Yeah, I think as we record, the third will premiere tonight. So okay. just brand new. It's like a week old. Um, and, you know, so far, like proceeding relatively normally um although with a cast of returning all-stars who most of whom are in relationships and have children it's been less of the sort of like crazy summer who's gonna hook up with who thing which is how big brother always wants to frame itself at least before there's an eruption of racism in the house and then the producers have to scramble to cover that up and keep it out of the tv show um so you can you can tell i have some strong feelings about that particular program well, I that that one of the things is I have to be honest. I'm surprised you're still covering it because I think you've really struggled with that, and and that's one of the things that I wanted to kind of talk about because it's so so much a part of reality TV 
is now you've been covering um, reality TV and a fan of it for probably longer, but now for 20 years with reality blurred and it really has evolved and changed so much, but I guess we should start at the beginning. How did you decide to start the site and, and, and make it kind of, did it start as a business? Was it something for fun and how did it grow? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, certainly not as a business, certainly never any intention to, like, I don't know if I, I certainly didn't have a plan. And I think that's one of the most interesting things for me now looking back on 20 years is if you had sort of transported back in time and said, like, hey, you're going to be doing this for 20 years, I would have frozen up and never done it. Um, and like, <laughs> you know, if you said like, oh, you're going to you're going to write 16,000 posts or whatever it's been, um, which is I think it's a little more than 16,000 now, like some of which are 100 words and some of which are 2,000, 3,000 words long. Um so, you know, I think with the lack of that plan actually helped sustain it. Um, the short version is I, the very first gig I got writing about reality TV was just as a freelancer writing recaps of the real world Hawaii. Um, this was sort of in the era before there were recaps. I didn't know what I was doing and just came out of a conversation with an editor during a summer internship. And so I just kind of wrote about what I saw and, and had fun doing that. And it was the real world Hawaii, which you'll maybe recall was the season with Ruthie who was an alcoholic yes. and dro drove drunk. And there was a lot of other stuff that season too, but a lot of, a lot to cover, but also it was certainly the show was changing, um, which gave me a lot to, to think about. So uh, that was great. And then a year later I was ready to cover the next season of the real world. And um, some people had changed up at the, the, the publication that I was writing for. And I wasn't getting along very well with the new editor and, the short version is he fired me and I had nowhere to write about reality TV anymore. Um, so, and I realized that was right about the time. Um, it was just after making the band had premiered on ABC, which was the first network mm -hmm. reality show. And uh, just before survivor and then later big brother premiered. Um, and so I was like, you know, I, I'm looking around the internet for news about this stuff. I'm trying to find everything I can. Why don't I just share that? And so I borrowed a format of a blog that I really liked called Media Gossip um, and just kind of emulated that. And I linked to cool stuff that I could find and gave a paragraph or three of commentary or summary and um, just started doing it. Like, you know, posting three things in the morning and three things at night and and somehow that's evolved to writing, you know, full-blown TV criticism and interviews and uh, behind-the-scenes reports. And 10 years ago, or actually 12 years ago now, I, you know, flew to Gabon to cover Survivor there and then to Brazil and then to Samoa. Um, and then CBS stopped letting me come to Survivor locations to cover Survivor. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there's been lots of ups and downs. And, and I think, you know, I've never honestly been one to, like, be a strategic planner in terms of like, here's my five-year or 10-year plan or whatever. So just kind of like, I'm really good at reacting in the moment. And so I think the evolution has come from that, just sort of what's working, I'm going to do more of it. What's not working, I'm going to stop doing that. And I, I think that's been a generally good strategy for the site and probably not a bad strategy for for life either. Yeah. You know, you, you say um, about being reacting and that, I was a journalist for a while. I used to write for the star ledger um, and some other publications after that. And one of the things that you have to consider being a journalist 
is, um, you know, oftentimes people say, this site doesn't want to write about this because they're not going to get advertising. And most often I thought I found as a journalist, it's not, you don't consider that. You don't think about that. What you think about is access. Exactly what you were talking about with CBS. How have you straddled that line between speaking your mind about something that's going on, whether it's Big Brother or it's, you know, casting on The Bachelor or the way that Survivor has dealt with certain racial um, and sexual gender politics issues on Survivor? Have you thought to yourself, hey, I'm just, I'm just a dude writing a website. You're not, you know, you're not a subsidiary of Fox or Disney or anything like that. So they don't have to give you that information or that access. Um, you talk about having that access from CBS. Do you think that speaking your mind has limited some of your access has affected it? Or has it also conversely gained you an audience of people who trust what you're saying? How do you, how have you kind of um, straddled that or how have you negotiated that being an independent website? I think the answer is yes to both of those questions that you just asked, which is it's negatively affected my ability to get access and um, also the access that I have gotten has also helped um, build the site. So it's, and I, I think that that's, you know, something that all journalists struggle with. And there's, there's lots of conversation now and even for the past four or five years now about access journalism and the idea about like, what do you give up when you're, when you're going for, for access. And, and part of it just because you're having, if when you have a relationship with someone, it's hard to disappoint them. And even if that person is a publicist yeah. or, you know, somebody. So um, I think, it helps that I started working or writing Reality Blurred and, and doing my work um, just kind of independently and not at all ever expecting anything. Like, again, when I was writing about season one of Survivor, I never expected to set foot on a Survivor beach or see the behind the scenes or talk to Jeff Probst in person or anything like that. Um, so uh, I think, you know, and, and I also just... I think that in my writing, the only thing that I have is my ability to be honest and truthful. And, you know, I can report the facts that I have and give you all the information that I have and tell you where I got that information and then tell you what I think about it. And that's, that's, that's what I've got. And if I betray that by doing something to like, to, you know, appease a publicist or, or to make someone happy, then I'm not going to be, true to myself and certainly not like that's not going to be interesting to read and i think there's tons of examples of that on the internet now where you can read stuff and you can just kind of see the access and how yeah. little um and you know i won't call anyone out entertainment weekly but you can sometimes read their pieces and just like and it's like they're just not they're they're getting access to people and not yeah. asking the most obvious questions and maybe they can ask them in a way that is not as aggressive or confrontational as i would or maybe there's a way to you know and it's just like that just feels like a dereliction of duty and if you have access to people who have power and i honestly believe that reality producers do have power over their casts and also over us as viewers, like the, what they show us affects us and watching the same thing year after year for 20 years can give us an impression about types of people or how things work or how the world yeah. works. And 
Um, so I think it's important to ask, at least ask those questions and whether I'm asking those questions and getting answers and, and actually able to talk to people in person or over the phone or whatever, um, or I'm asking those questions just kind of into the internet void. Um, I try to do that as often as I can. Can you think of any specific, maybe a time where you really were challenged on that and it kind of cemented that road for you? Because I can think of different times as a journalist myself where, you know, when I was, when I was first starting out at the star ledger, one of the first things that they had young writers do is write obituaries. And the reason they had you do it was because you had to call and ask somebody whose son, brother, husband, wife just died, hard questions. You know, you had to actually deal with that. So it kind of set the tone for me that when I was talking to somebody, there was a trust that I was developing. Was there a certain incident or time that you had to make that decision? Well, look, if I write this, I'm laying it out on the line and I might lose access to whoever, whoever or whatever show this is. You know, I don't, I don't think there's ever been a moment like that. What I will, I encounter, I'll give you two examples of sort of what the mo- the most common thing I encounter now is sort of like when I'm asking tough questions of people I have a relationship with or, you know, through like publicists I know. So for example, I just wrote a piece about how both Shark Week and Shark Fest on Nat Geo um, really focus on white male scientists, yeah. despite the diversity of that, was that great article. Um, industry. Thank you. Um, and, you know, I know and have a good relationship with a lot of publicists at both networks. And so I'm, I have to ask, and so I'm asking them the questions and, and, and saying, here's what I'm writing about. And it's like, I know that they're not going to be happy about this. I know that this makes their life miserable because they're not the ones making the decisions, but they're the ones who have to sort of be this interface between me and the network and trying to get answers or get me the information that they're going to give me, or maybe just tell me we're not giving you anything at all. Like in the case of discovery, they did not make an executive uh, available to me. They did not give me a statement of any kind. Um, They you know, wouldn't even respond to my questions about like why they cast Mike Tyson, a convicted rapist as the centerpiece of their, um, of, of shark week this year. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's tough to sort of do that sometimes because in this, in the same way that it's tough to have conversations sometimes with people that, you know, and like, and respect and appreciate as colleagues. Um, but you know, I, did that anyway. And, um, so there's, I think that comes up the most often, um, in terms of like, to, to go back to the survivor example, like there was never a moment there where it was like, I did something and then CBS was like, we, you are punished and here's why. Um, and which is, that was kind of the interesting and fascinating thing about that was I went on location three times. I interviewed the cast members after they were voted off and did those regular exit interviews. And then just sort of all of a sudden it was like, well, we can't schedule you for the exit interviews anymore and i was like well why like well and the the publicist that i was working with was just like i don't know that's over my head and you know i had an interview scheduled with jeff ropes to talk to him for a freelance piece i was writing and that was canceled and so it was clear that like suddenly my access was being cut off but i never knew why exactly like i got some pushback sometimes from cbs publicists about things that i'd written like we don't know why you would want to write about that and i'm like well because it interests me and because you know it's not like i'm am i putting someone's life at risk 
no. And I will, I will also say too, that there's been times like, including with CBS, where a publicist will say something to me like, you know, here's this piece of information that you have. And here's why we're asking you not to use it because it might actually cause harm to someone. And the, the thing that I'm talking about is not scandalous at all. It's just sort of like, you know, perhaps someone, for an example, like maybe in an early draft of a press release was like identified one way with a last name that they then decided not to use for some reason. And so it's like, can you just use the new one? It's like, of course I can. Like, I'm not going to you know, that doesn't create any problems. So I think there's like constant negotiation there. And, and one of the things that I hope is that I have a good relationship with my readers and that they'll call me on any bullshit that they're detecting for me if it looks like I'm, you know, defending um, or just, you know, becoming a, a mouthpiece of a network. But it's also interesting too that the reverse can happen where after my access was cut off with CBS, like I didn't think that I changed how I covered survivor at all but the response was often like oh now you're just going after survivor because they cut off your access and it's like before i went on location i used to make fun of jeff probst and everything from his chilling of mountain dew to um i don't know like to to the way he was yelling at contestants um and i continue to do that and i continue now to say that i appreciate the things that he does or when there's decisions that i agree with i talk positively about those. And so, you know, I can't really let the sort of those kind of accusations get to me or I'll just never do anything because I'll be boxed into such a small corner that there's no room in there at all. Yeah. And of course, you know, we do live in the internet age where somebody has to comment on everything or find a way to kind of enter a conversation. And uh, it, it makes me think about and just hearing you talk about your time and changes that have gone on. Um, one of the things that I've always appreciated about reality blurred is that I'm originally the reason why I like reality TV is because I was originally a documentary fan hmm. and you cover a great amount of documentaries and you still you're one of the few people writing about reality TV that to me still takes that into account that we are seeing a sort of documentary style television. Whereas nowadays we're so deep into it. It's, you know, it's so many iterations, so many generations that it just kind of, it's like a, a snake eating its own tail that people forget where the beginning was right. and you forget, um, you know, the old shows, um, what was, the, uh, that you've re actually written about some, some, sometimes you'll, I'll look at some of your articles. Oh man, you know about that too. The old PBS family. Remember they followed that family around yep. an American family in, American? in 1973. Yep. Yes. Which I was, I was negative one year old in 1973, <laughs> but I remember renting that from my library. When I, yeah. you know, when I was a teenager, um, and just falling in love, the up series, um, and the way when survivor first came out and when real world in New York, I grew up in New Jersey first came out. I've watched a little bit of the old real world recently, I think on Pluto or something like that. It was running and I wanted to show my son, Hey, this is like one of the first reality and it's, they're just sitting there talking like there's one fight the whole season, right? Right. 
Um, and it was like a big deal. Our society has become so performative, whether it's YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and we've all grown with reality television that as time goes on, um, I think people kind of lose sight of the origins of this. What do you see? Do you think that has reality TV become more real or has it become, oh, has it become that snake? Is it almost like a copy of itself? When you look at it today, how would you look back at these 20 years starting from a more documentary style to where we are now? And what would your kind of major points of its evolution be? Or how, how would you describe that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just the, that focus on the documentary origins that you mentioned, I think that is often lost. And an American family was sort of shocking in the early 70s because it how much it sort of showed behind the scenes of a family's life. And that show directly um, influenced the real world's creators, uh, John Murray and Mary Ellis Bunham. Um, and Mary Ellis came from soap opera and John Murray came from news and doc and they merged their sensibilities and into the real world. And I think that that's, that's always been the genesis for me and is like really following real people, seeing what happens, but also like editing it and turning it into narrative and entertainment, um, so that it's really engaging to watch, um, and even in, in the early days of reality TV, sort of after Survivor really kicked off, um, most because there was such a need for it, or at least networks were wanting to order a lot of it, um, there weren't then, there was like this, it was so new. There were like the people who've done real world and road rules, but that was it. So those people got hired. And then a lot of people from news and documentaries got hired. And so the early years of reality TV were very documentary driven, even when it was like the dumb. Fox dating shows that I'm sure you remember, like um, Joe Millionaire and all those kind of things. Like, people behind the scenes were often from news and doc backgrounds. But what happened was over time, and and like you, I think like coming from journalism as both of us do, you have a set of sort of ethical principle principles that guide you. Of course, like we can make decisions that people disagree with, and that we don't even you know agree with in, in our own organizations, for example, but you, you can wrestle over those kind of decisions, but at least you have this idea of like, we have accountability, we have rules that we sort of follow. Um, but as reality got more mature, they needed more and more people. And so, oops, sorry, excuse me. Um, so you had to, like, as reality grew, we, they kept like hiring people from, uh, behind the scenes. So like someone would start as a PA on a show and suddenly they'd be in charge of their own show in a few years. Maybe I'm making this up as a hypothetical, but now you've grown up on a reality TV show set. So you don't have grounding in documentary. Mm -hmm. You don't have grounding in journalism. Um, and it's a brand new genre. So you kind of make it up as you go. And I think, and I think that persist to this day where like last summer we had a producer in the big brother house asking a black woman to talk and speak and act in a more stereotypical way. And it's just like, there's this sort of lawlessness, I guess, at that ground producing level. And so many shows are produced for such little money and there's no time or to train people well. And 
everyone are freelancers. So they're scrapping for their next job. So of course, no one's going to rock the boat if they don't like the direction something's going. So yeah, I mean, I've talked a lot about that or kind of babbled a little bit about that. But to, to answer your question too about the evolution, I think we just keep seeing these interesting waves. And early on in the first 10 years, maybe it was a lot of copycat waves, like something would catch and then everyone would try to have their own version of that. And that still happens. But I think as the genre has matured, um, there's a lot more like willing and like as streamers especially have come into play. I think now there's a lot more willingness to just try stuff and and see what happens versus just copying everything. Um, you know, like something becomes a big hit, American Idol, and now everyone has to have a singing show. And then all those singing shows go away and American Idol is still around. And you, I'm sure you remember the time when there were a ton of Survivor clones yeah. or The Bachelor. And um, so, yeah, we're, we're I think we're seeing a lot more diversification of types of shows, although it's been 20 years. So now it does feel like we've almost, we've seen almost everything and what could possibly be new now. <laughs> oh, they'll come up with something. Something. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been interesting because as a TV fan and as a reality fan, there is a certain stigma, right? Um I think when I speak about shows like Game of Thrones and Mindhunter and Lost and these big kind of heady shows, you know, where the Sopranos, Mad Men and things. And then I say, I also love reality TV. People kind of are like, oh, you like that stuff? <laughs> do you, right. do you, you, even though, as we've both discussed, this is ubiquitous now, right? Like everybody's seen Survivor. Everybody's watched. It's part of the culture. Um, but you still have that kind of stigma that comes from, I think, the move away from the documentary style and more into becoming its own thing, right? And just like you're saying, which is very smart, you people are kind of – they how does something become what it eventually is? It's just basically through practice. And that practice is hiring, internal hiring, right? And then – one person goes to another show. I mean, gosh, I'm sitting watching um, Selling Sunset. I don't know if you've seen any of that on um, on Netflix. I have not. Not the most. They just came out, I think, with a third season. Yeah. And like, and it's only been out for like three months. But yes, I've seen some. Not not the most recent episodes. They came out. They did the third season in two parts, and they mm. just released the second part. And. It's from the people who, uh, what's his name? Adam Devella. Is that how you pronounce his name correctly? Yeah, I think so. The, from um, MTV and yes. uh, The Hills. Yeah, exactly. And it is the same. It is The Hills. It's the same show. The beats are there. The awkward, like just holding on a person, but the music continues. <laughs> like the weird, awkward, th you know, the the big um, uh, drone shots over the valley and everything. So I'm sitting here, wow, I'm like, wow, things have really not changed that much, but you can see how they've evolved within our society. Do you now? I know we talked a little bit about you being part of the Television Critics Association um, and being a journalist. Do you feel like that kind of evolution of reality TV, where a lot of people call it trashy and whatnot, how do you react to that when people have that attitude? Because you're one thing I want to mention too is you're a teacher too, 
which I totally respect. And you get to, I think, kind of play these ideas out when you're teaching as well, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's it's something I definitely like to do in, you know, I teach a few classes uh, at the college level, and I, I like to get my students to be at least thinking about what they're watching and, you know, and also introduce them to stuff that I think is great or at least interesting for them to have some experience with. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think reality TV certainly has that stigma still. And uh, I feel like I'm sort of in a strange place in the middle of it because, when I criticize reality TV, then people think I'm one of the haters. And when I praise it, then people just think that I'm a, an, an, a crazy person. Um, what I have noticed, though, is that I think, you know, a lot of people, I think there's a sense that like reality TV is all trash and it's all garbage and everyone hates it and it's no one should watch it. And yet everyone does watch something. Mm-hmm. And the number of times I've had a conversation with people like, you know, it'll all eventually have to admit like, yep, I write about reality TV for a living. And they'll be like, oh, like, that's all I hate it, you know, but I love that American Idol or like, <laughs> yep, real, the Real Housewives of New Jersey. And, it, and it's like, okay, like, will you, you watch it. And, and it's like, are you criticizing your own choices here? Are you just, you know, in denial that what you're watching is reality TV? And, you know, people have, and people have like really strong relationships to their TV too. Like when Live PD was canceled earlier this summer, um, following the death of, of George Floyd, but also the revelations about what that production had done in terms of, um, you know, filming the death of another black man at the hands of a police department and then not airing it or even saying anything about it, despite pretending that they were an objective, you know, outlet essentially um when my pd was canceled i think people just like freaked out because spending four hours watching that every weekend was such a part of their lives and that is a real loss and it feels it hurts and they don't know how to deal with that because it's a stupid tv show and why would i feel connected to that but it is really it's a real relationship that that you have with your tv yeah oh definitely and i i think that it's a way of what do you say a lot of time a, a therapist will say, you know, a part of what creates our own mind, our own story is is us bouncing off other people's lives to find what normal is, you know? And right. when you watch television and when you watch reality TV, I think a lot of times what people are doing is projecting themselves into that situation. And saying, what would I do, right? You're looking for that reaction. I mean, I know for me, a lot of the reality TV I watch almost exclusively, I watch with my wife. This was one of the – actually, we were just talking about The Bachelor was maybe one of the first – like on our second or third date. Uh, She said, oh, I'm going to watch The Bachelor tonight. You probably don't want to hang out. And I said, I love The Bachelor. I'm in. And she, early on in the relationship, she was like, wow, I really like this guy. He wants to watch The Bachelor with me. But we've had a relationship where we watch it together and it informs the way we kind of even sometimes talk about our own relationship. Do you find that yourself? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's one of the great things about reality TV too, 
whether we're talking about it on social media or in the comments of a reality blurred story or, you know, with our friends and family and is just that it like sparks a lot of conversations. And there's, you know, sometimes I think that can come out as just judgment, like, look at that idiot, what are they doing? And I certainly find myself doing that in person and in writing sometimes too, um, even if I, I try my best not to. Um, but it, But it's certainly, yeah, I guess like, for lack of a better term, like it can be instructive. It can teach us. And like, I know I'm sure there's some people hearing me say that and just cringing because like reality TV can teach like that's, you know, it's garbage. Like there's nothing, nothing of value there, but it is valuable to watch other people and see how they deal with the situation. And all the summer I've been rewatching survivor season one um, and, and recapping it. Cause I didn't really write recaps um, that first summer. I just sort of covered it in, a little more little spurts of um, information here and there. And one thing that I just like forgot completely about was like how much the people in the game were wrestling with how to play it and whether like there were talk about like whether alliances were ethical or moral or not. And it's just like, it's so funny to think about because of what the game has become and how much of what survivor was has now infiltrated and, you know, sort of become the DNA of other shows. Um, but there really was a lot of like kind of questioning there. And I think that that's, that's good too. Like it's at least sort of feeling it out and seeing what, what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Well, I have to thank you um, and a legendary podcaster by the name of Jack for getting me into Survivor because I read your site forever. I always like reality TV and I knew so much about Survivor from reality blurred. Like I literally, I had, I had, I watched a bit of the first season and then I guess it was the competition element. I fell in more to the Bravo type of reality TV. Right. The project runway top chef, it, you know, that kind of stuff. And Survivor was gritty and I didn't quite, it was a little bit, it was a little intimidating, I have to admit, because there's kind of a price of entry there. You really, once you start watching Survivor today, and even when I started maybe eight years ago, it's so self-referential. They talk about the evolution of the show a lot. And once I got into it, and from reading your site, it's really fascinating the way that show has developed and the way that it does have a lot of self-reflection, it's been through a lot of the ups and downs. And now we're seeing a lot of the things that you dealt with and that I read about you dealing with covering Survivor. Now every reality show is dealing with a kind of, you know, a comeuppance here of the way the producers deal with the talent whether it's with racial sensitivity, mental health. We talked about Ruthie. I can remember her alcohol problem. Well, gosh, you look at like the Bravo shows, some other, sh The Bachelor, it's like based on alcoholism. It's based on feeding alcohol to the contestants in order for the situations that are dramatic to arise. Um, how has it been for you being a person who has been dealing with that stuff from day one, you've always been honest about that. Now to see it be the, um, 
I, I don't want to say popular, but you know, the standard thing for people to be questioning how a reality show functions. Do you have, do you feel, does that make you feel happy that now that ha- this has come more to light that you, cause you were in a way you were kind of like a guy yelling in a wind tunnel. <laughs> I mean, you really were Andy. I mean, sure, I used sure. to read your articles and I would say, why is he the only one who's writing about this? Like, I mean, I have worked on sets before. I was lucky enough to be a PA and a camera person. I've done a bunch of stuff on TV commercials and film. And people have no idea the way that, like how tyrannical people are, not just the directors, but the producers, the agencies, everybody. You have to get something done. I remember my own brother if he's listening, he'll remember this, <laughs> giving me 15 minutes to get from the heart of Brooklyn to deep into Manhattan because we had to get the camera to the set. And we're sitting there in the car and the guy, and I'm like, my brother says, we got to be there in 15 minutes. Well, we were there in 15 minutes. We broke every law, but we had to get, you know, so how do you feel seeing these type of behind the scene things that you've been writing about for so long and you've been public about now become um, standard fare for every writer, even people talking about when it comes to reality. Um, I certainly welcome it. And I'm thrilled to, to be able to have that conversation. And, and like you said, sometimes even in the past, people would be like, why are you, why are, or, you know, I appreciate you saying like, why aren't more people writing about this? But sometimes people would say, why are you writing about this? And the answer was nearly always because I thought it was important or it was interesting to me or both. Um, And usually both, because that would, that's what would get me to write something um, at all. And so I certainly welcome that conversation just because I think it's important for us to understand where our entertainment comes from. And it's also okay to have a complicated relationship with our entertainment. Mm. Um, You know, in the last few months, I've been watching a lot of Golden Girls repeats. Um, They've sort of been my like quarantine coworkers. And that show in so many ways was progressive and ahead of its time. And there are also undeniably like just unnecessary racist jokes that pop up or references to people's ethnicity or bodies and that just are making me cringe and feel terrible. And the show can be funny. It can be progressive and it can be regressive and bigoted and racist all at the same time. So just kind of unpacking that and being able to recognize that and acknowledge it, I think is really useful. Um, and so I think the more people that do that, the better, um, you know, and, and, and that's so ultimately like, yeah, I'm, I'm excited that we're having those conversations and um, I hope that it gets especially to the degree of the people who are actually making TV. Um, and I worry that kind of like, you know, we're so many shows are kind of back in production now. And with these COVID procedures that to me, at least from what they're sharing publicly, seem a little half-assed to like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're checking everyone's temperatures. And I'm like, well, congratulations on catching the people who are trying to sneak into work while they're sick. Like, what about the asymptomatic people? But anyway, but like, I, you know, I'm, so, I'm definitely worried that sort of the industry kind of marches on without much self-reflection and the economic stuff drives it more than anything else. But um yeah, maybe there, maybe there will be some change and maybe sort of the generation coming up as producers, the people who are PAs and um, entry level people now will, will help affect some change. And, but also we need 
the industry to be more diverse. And so that's going to take the people at the top and middle to to reach out and to do the work necessary to bring more voices into the mix in order for that to happen. Are you a fan on this same um, on this same idea? Are you a fan of the reality show breaking the fourth wall to address these type of issues? Or has this become um, – uh, do you feel like they're doing that because people have come to expect that, that they're just pay, almost paying fan service to an aspect of their production? Because it used to be, you know, wait a second, Chris Harrison and – Wait, the producers on the line, you know, like Colton's jumping the fence or you know, right. something where they would break that fourth wall. Now they tend to do it to like uh, specifically on The Bachelor again. Oh, we're going to bring um, Rachel out to talk again about the problems we've historically had with race on The Bachelor. You know, um, it, it, it's. How do you, I guess my question is because reality TV is quote unquote reality, but performative, how do you feel as a, as a, as a writer, a journalist, but also a viewer when you see them addressing their own faults, but it becomes a part of the show? Yeah, I, I generally like that, I think, and especially because just I'm a person who loves the behind the scenes, and that's been something that's interested me my whole life about TV and entertainment. Um, but I think it can certainly be performative, and I don't like that, and it can also be phony. Uh, I think yeah. The Bachelor and the Colton stuff, like... Chris Harrison was like, you know, practically, practically like grabbing the curtains and chewing, <laughs> chewing through them. Um, just like, just being such a bad actor in those moments, like Colton come to me, like, you know, like just, just it was, it was ridiculous. Um, totally. but, um, and, and maybe five years ago or so, I can't remember now exactly when there was a CBS show that lasted one season or less called the briefcase where mm -hmm. they showed up and handed a briefcase full of money to a family. And we're like, now you have to give half of it away. Um, and, uh, that was like the catch, I guess. And they like, they didn't have a host. So the producer was the one on camera and then the cameras would always show other cameras, but it was like so clearly staged to just yep. be like, you should just have a host and you don't need to show us the other cameras because they're not affecting anything here. Like it's not authentic. And so, yeah, I think that's just another thing to kind of watch out for is like, are they breaking the fourth wall in order to try to convince you that this is really true, but it's just as much of an edited and produced moment as one in which they're not showing you those quote unquote behind the scenes things? Or are we really having a serious, like, you know, digression into how the show is produced and asking those hard questions? And I, you know, I, I think I've seen examples of both and um, it's interesting to, to kind of consider both, both ways. How would you, you know, coming back, we, we talked a little bit about Big Brother and that's a show that, like I said, I've watched on and off. I think I've watched maybe a season, um, but one of the reasons why I haven't really gotten into it, quite frankly, is from your writing because there just seems to be that they will purposefully cast racist, sexist, homophobic people in order to cause a stir inside the house that I can't, you know, 
even though I know I may know that other shows that I enjoy employ these type of tactics, for some reason, Big Brother has kind of become known for this. What is your struggle with continuing to watch it? When when do you think you would are are there shows that you have said, "Hey, look, even if they played lip service, they're not changing." And I uh, I'm in a sense maybe contributing to it. How do you draw that line yourself? And it's a great question because I think that's something I'm constantly struggling with myself and you know, with Big Brother, there were some early seasons, especially season 6, um one of one and one of the cast members from that season is is back this summer so that's been one of the attractions for me um and it, it it has potential and it has it can be really interesting and it doesn't have to devolve into that kind of trash and violence it usually does and it's clear that CBS um is not concerned about that or at least up until last year was at least only paying some lip service to that and we'll we'll see what changes going forward um, you know, one thing I tell myself is that like, I can cover it and I should continue to cover it because someone needs to hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously a statement that's full of ego and self-aggrandizing. Like I, I am the person who must protect the world from the show. <laughs> like, but also like, because of the aforementioned, you know, like scripted shows and there's so much TV and so TV critics and journalists don't give much attention to shows like this or when they do it's like the really kind of light and fluffy stuff and the relationship stuff and that's sort of feeding the celebrity machine not the covering the kind of stuff that i'm interested in so i cover it in, I, I convince myself sometimes that i think it needs to be covered because um you know just like to document it and to ask those questions um but i think you make a good point that maybe i'm just perpetuating it maybe i'm giving it attention that it doesn't deserve maybe um and and i do it like with big brother nearly always i kind of like tune in at the beginning and then just check out and i just follow it um and so i'm not writing a piece like oh my gosh like look what this crazy thing happened right. it's usually it's, it's usually like i'm not covering it like a fan um i'm covering it when I see that there's news or something worthy of conversation. And so that's the kind of middle ground I've staked out. I think that that may not be perfect and um, may have its own problems. And I'm certainly willing to kind of pay attention to that. And it's funny, like you would think, especially a show like big brother, that's been such a dumpster fire. Like I gave up on amazing race and just never watch it anymore because as well produced as that is and how generally free of stuff that is, it just became boring for me and all the stuff that I really loved about it, especially because of budgetary cuts and other decisions they made. It just like went from a show that I really liked to a show that I just didn't care about anymore. So it's easy to kind of just like be like, yep, done with that. And sure, I'll cover some news about it once in a while. And I've checked back into a few seasons, but it was easy to drop it. And Big Brother, you know, it, the other thing too is Big Brother is wildly popular. And, um, you know, there's certainly the like, well, if I cover it, then like people will be interested and read it. That's n- especially the kind of coverage I do. That's certainly not always true. Like people don't want to read about the racism necessarily or the awful stuff that's happening and have that interrupt their experience. So, um, but I also think that it's popularity means that it deserves some attention and scrutiny. So again, maybe, maybe I'm just rationalizing here. Um, but that's kind of where I 
that's where my thinking is, at least at this present moment. No, I mean, I, I agree with it. You know, if I had, if I had issue with it, I wouldn't be reading your site or I'd be telling you now. I mean, I think I agree with you from that perspective. I think that it's vitally important that people like yourself continue to examine and explore these shows and how they affect us and not give up because of the bad content, because then you're just creating a space for unexplored terribleness to exist. <laughs> you know, like I think it's vitally important, especially today that we explore this stuff and talk about it. That's like when we were talking about just a little bit before about how people have a bad reaction to reality TV. It normally doesn't bother me. And I, and I like you, I know that they secretly watch it and love it. Um, before we get going. And I mean, I could talk to you forever and I appreciate your time. I just want to ask you about something that I've often thought about, which is kind of like, how do you talk to people about the levels of reality TV? Because I know some people will, I'll say like, they'll, I'll say, I love reality TV. Oh, what do you watch? I'll say, well, you know, it's not like I watch teen mom or something. I watch (laughs) Bravo. It's not, you know, like there's certain levels of reality and how you kind of disseminate. Like, I know you're a fan of the show hoarders. And you've, sure. you've written a lot about it, but a lot of people may look at that show and say, oh, that's so exploitive. These people have mental health issues and you've dealt with that too. And I've loved reading um, what you've written about it. But when you speak to people or in your classes or do you have in your own mind a kind of leveling system of reality TV? Like, do you think, what do you think is like? the top that respects and does the best. And what do you think is kind of like the bottom that is very exploitive and doesn't really seem to want to do anything, but you know, fill time between the commercials. Yeah. And that's a great question. And I don't, I, I think it'd be amazing to have sort of a, like a well thought out and, and like, like a grid of like, here's all the types and you can kind of break it down. And I have sort of, I think vague understandings of that, but not not a clear yeah, framework. That's interesting. But what but what I do think is that like in the same way that when we were talking about sort of like what's real, what's fake, how's it produced, I think I encourage people and, and I try to do this myself, which is to kind of break down and think about each level. Like, you know, it, when when people say a reality show is fake, like, well, what are you talking about? Like, which part? Is it someone is acting fake in this moment to play for the cameras? Is it that they were cast? as an actor to do something fake completely, that's really rare and usually doesn't happen. Um, Is it that the editing is distorting reality? Is it that the producer off camera is creating situations? Is it just the dynamic that's happening in front of you is not true to your experience? So I think you can like break down shows and look at it that way. And I think that's true of like quality. So, you know, a show like Hoarders to me certainly has the kind of like, look at this exploitation factor and i'm sure that's part of why people watch it but at the same time it's also 
done a really great job of like illustrating a mental illness that most people didn't know was real and that wasn't even classified as its own thing up until recently and thanks in part to hoarders yeah. bringing more attention to it um and you can also see like i think a lot of what hoarders has done is actually communicated to family members that of hoarders that their concerns are legitimate and that that also like that their family members are not just you know like that there's something wrong that they need to get them help with. Um, so, but then there's, there's shows like, I don't know, like I'm thinking when you were, when you were talking, I was thinking about like various kinds of shows and I'm thinking of like the shows on like we TV, like um, life after lockup or um, love after lockup. Yeah. And, and like, I think those shows can be like really just, you know, we probably think of the word like trashy because it's just like a lot of relationship drama and screaming. And on some level it can actually point to, issues with incarceration and mass incarceration and the effects of the prison system. On the other hand, is it actually thoughtfully dealing with those? No, it's not. <laughs> it's like, it's giving us, you know, the attention to the drama. Um, but I also think that there's still some value in that if someone watches it just for the drama, but ends up thinking a little bit like, how did prison affect this person? Did this person deserve to be in prison for as long as they were? You know, did that affect their relationships? Like, I think that that's, there's something there. Or thinking about like 90 Day Fiance and yeah. navigating the immigration system and whether what they just, it can humanize that for us. So I don't know, you know, you know, there's certainly shows that are better produced than others in my mind, but that's just based on my own criteria. Um, and I will, you know, I'll, when I'm reviewing a show, I'm certainly applying my own criteria to it when I'm saying it's great or not. Um, but there's, there's low budget shows that I can really enjoy um, and really kind of cheesy fun shows that I can think are great, like Holy Moly this summer or, you know, Floor is Lava minus the narrator. Um, and then there's other shows that are just like high art and, you know, belong in the canon of tel greatest television shows ever, like The Chair on Stars, which was kind of a follow-up to Project Greenlight, which yeah, was also was a great fantastic. show. Yeah. And like that show is probably going to be much slower and more deliberative and although the drama and it is still amazing. So if you have not seen the chair, seek it out. Um, you can still stream it on various services and it's amazing. It's also terribly named. It sounds like it's about the electric chair. Or something. <laughs> it only works good with the logo when you can see the director's chair. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Precisely. Oh uh, yeah. That's interesting. Well, Gosh, man. I mean, I could go on and on. I, I really can't say enough about how much I've appreciated your site. I'll continue to. I'll always talk about it. I suggest it to everyone because of everything we've talked about for this hour and the way you've expressed yourself and the honesty that you love reality TV, but you also hold it up to a standard as you hold, would hold yourself or other people up to. And, you know, I mean, I love it. I, I, like I said, with you two, it started with a love of documentary and the aspect of how, of how the observer affects the experiment, you know, is something that reality TV continually, uh, um, questions and makes ourselves question in our own life too. And just the growth we've seen over these 20 years in our own society, it's such an important part of American pop culture and American society. And I think something that people really 
need to take more seriously and the, and the aspects that you have taken seriously have been the ones that I really identify with. Um, is there anything else you'd like to talk about or say before we go? No, I think we've covered a lot. And like, like you said, we, you know, can always chat more, but uh, yeah, I appreciate the conversation and also uh, just talking to someone who also takes reality TV seriously enough to have a conversation about it. And that's always great. So thank you so much for, for having me on. I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much, Andy, everybody go out to realityblurred.com. And of course I'm going to have all the links in the show notes. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for subscribing. Head on to dvrpodcast.com. I'm going to be back soon. Ken and I are going to be talking again when our second part about the last season of Game of Thrones returning to that. I'm going to have Gareth returning to talk about uh, what we're going to talk about, his lost rewatch and Buddhism and a whole host of other things. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks again, Andy. Take care, everyone. Peace out.